we're asking people tough questions today. Um, what do you think the Bible is? The Bible is a book that is written by people, but it, God spoke to them and wrote through them, so it's God's word. How do you think that we know that it is still reliable today? Like it was written 2,000 years ago, so how do we know that it's still the same book? Um, I think that when people have transcribed it through the years, like just very careful procedure has been taken to um, transcribe it accurately, and I think like we have a God that doesn't change from yesterday to today. Do you? What do you think of the Bible? Do you think it's true? Um, definitely, I think it's true. Um, I believe it's inspired by God. So, do you think there's any part of it that's untrue, or is the whole thing true? Or I don't believe anything is untrue. Would you say that this is like a 100% true document? Yes, but I guess it's the question, are you asking is it infallible or is it an errand? <laughs> what do you think uh, about like the Bible? What, what do you think that is as a book? A fascinating document. Would you say that it's true or what would you say? That I can't tell you either. I wasn't there and you know there's lots of people who have been going back and forth about whether the Bible's true or not for a long time. What's your name? Allison. That makes sense because that's what your name tag says. Um, well, we're asking people tough questions today. Um, what do you think of the Bible? Like, what do you think it is? I think it's um, God's word, and I think it's all true. Okay. So for you, there wouldn't be like a single part of it that would be untrue. Like everything is uh, like a reliable source. Yep, I think it's all true. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when uh, you have a pastoral vote in two weeks and your vice chair says to only preach for five minutes. <laughs> Was that my read? <laughs> I will not be going long today, amen? No, just kidding. I really appreciate Jonathan. He's an incredible elder of our church. And does Anyway, yeah, it's just awkward to talk about that, I think, from up here. So let's just jump in. You know, truth, uh, truth is kind of fun. I, you know, whenever I, one of my favorite websites of all time is Snopes. You know, it's like, so when somebody sends me something, I was like, no way that's true. So I go to Snopes out on a website, you know, and just try to see, it proves whether it's right or wrong and kind of, so Snopes is one of my favorite. I want to do a version of Snopes here. Let's be Snopes together. I'm going to share with you a statement and you are going to respond whether it's true or false. And, and those who are online with us, just type it. If you're on Facebook Live, you just type it in right there, true or false. But let's do our own Snopes stuff. You ready? Okay, you're not ready. Well, I'm going anyway. So here's, these are commonly held beliefs, commonly held beliefs. So the first one, <laughs> don't throw rice at weddings because it can make birds explode. <laughs> now, I had to paint the picture in the first service on this. So what happens, you throw rice, the birds come down, they eat it dry, right? And it gets mixed with gastric juices, expands until they, <laughs> they explode right in the middle of the air. True or false? Man, divided group here. It is false. Dry grains, they start digesting quick. Actually, some birds actually eat rice, dried rice. All, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, that's false. Uh, next one, we only use 10% of our brains. A lot of truths, a couple of falses. I think in fairness, some of you do only use... <laughs> That was cruel. It is false. 
is false. Actually, with, with x-ray today and imagery, we can see in the mind that actually when you're processing, it's using almost 100% of activity all throughout your brain. So yeah, that one's kind of... <laughs> Gum stays in your stomach for seven years. It's like an old wives' tale. It's like this one really is out there. True or false? False. True. <laughs> it's a couple of truths. Um, actually, it is false. Uh, here's a description. Gum actually moves through your system unmolested. So it means it hardly uses anything, and it comes out. That's probably too much information. It comes out <laughs> pretty much the same way it went in. All right. Last one. This will really bother a few of you. The average person swallows eight spiders in a lifetime in their sleep. It's <laughs> true. Man, we are just like super divided on all these questions. Uh, it is false. There's not a great chance you'll even swallow one, just the human body. Anyway. So how did you do? You probably, some of you really don't have the truth down at all, do you? How'd you do online? Well, here's the deal. We always say in the Bible, the truth will set you free. So now enjoy your weddings with rice. Enjoy gum and don't be afraid of night spiders. You read me? So welcome everybody. We're glad you're here today to our guests, to our regulars. Let me take a couple minutes with our guests. If you're new to us or you're new online, we're glad you're here. We hope you felt like family the minute you walked through the door. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor, at least for a couple more weeks. <laughs> Sorry, it's just, we just have to have fun with this. Um, this worship guide that Lene talked about on the back, we're gonna talk about God's word, the Bible, and there's these, this outline on the back is what we're talking about today. It's kind of a framework of today, what we're talking about, so feel free to take notes in there. For those of you online, this is pinned out there, so you can pick that up. And um, one thing I wanna hit on here before we go forward is I think there's a big shout out before we jump into the sermon today. Uh, we had a shut-in, shut-in on Friday night, I think it was, right? Is that right? There's like 20 to 30 kids here that shut in all night long. I want to give a special thanks to the volunteers who survived. Thank you. But if I remember right, I heard the story is that many of the kids that came here were invited for the first time, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting people. That is such a big deal. Okay. Let's see, I think that gets us through. So let's jump, let's keep going. We're on this sermon series, week three, called Why We Read the Bible. Why We Read the Bible. And the answer every week for six weeks is to know, to know. So week one we talked about we read the Bible. Why we read the Bible is to know God. So we started there, that's the biggest one. We get, so we say the Bible is revelatory. It reveals God like no other thing does. It reveals who God is. And then last week we talked about we read the Bible to know our past and our future. As Christians, our past is really important. How did we get here? And our future is really important. So we talked about the Bible is historically accurate and we also talked about it is prophetically reliable, how it tells the future. We shared that God has had 7,000 promises. There's thousands of prophecies. They all come true. And we're waiting for the others still to come true as we wait to see what heaven and eternity with God is like. So there, Bible's revelatory. It's historically accurate. It's prophetically really reliable. When we talk about to know each week, I, this is an important point I just need to talk about, is that to know is not to fill my brain up with a bunch of facts about who God is and what the Christian life is about. While the brain does work in this, it's really about heart change. To know in the Greek is entirely about relationship. 
to know is to, like, like I mentioned, when I know my wife, I know my wife. It's about relationship. The same with God, but not only the vertical to know, but the horizontal to know, to know you. How do we live in community? How do we be in relationship with each other? So remember that to know is not just about intellect, it's really about relationship. So here's our first note together. First sermon note, we live in a post-truth world. So we live, this is clear, and we'll make it, we live in what we call post-truth world. Uh, every year, the Oxford Dictionary, it's kind of fun, it celebrates a new word, and it chooses one word as the word of the year. So in 2016, a few years back, this word was the word of the year, post-truth. It was Oxford Dictionary's word of the year. Now, I give you the, dic- I give you the <laughs> Oxford's description or dictionary, what does post-truth mean, but let me kind of just summarize it. What post-truth means is it means objective facts and truth are less influencing today than personal feelings and personal belief. That's what post-truth means. Instead of objective facts and truth, we really are geared to more personal belief and also personal feelings are a big part of that. So here's a list. How do we know we're in a, in a post-truth world? So let me kind of tell you why, why we believe and why I believe there's a post-truth world. What does a post-truth world include? Well, it first includes fake news and biased media. So fake news is just a common topic, right? We have to filter it every day. There's true fake news. People intentionally are being untruthful about news. It's out there all the time. That's why we started with Snopes, to try to work through that. Uh, there's biased media, and this, this is something that's truly celebrated today. As I go out and look at media websites and look at the news, they are biased. They will share that we're biased. We either meet a political agenda or something like that. It's hard to find an unbiased media source So that makes truth distorted. The second reason, the post-truth world is seen by information glut. There's so much information that comes out today. And our problem is we're not checking it and we're just sharing it and we're proliferating it and we're putting it out there without really researching. There's so much information that we think, well, I don't have time to research all this. (laughs) I said in the first service, I'll say it here again. Bless you, you send me stuff all week long. <laughs> Videos and things to check. Um, and, and I want you to keep doing that. Don't misread this. This is kind of, but I get so much every week. If I actually went and read everything you sent me and all the videos, I would never get this sermon done. Quit sending me the two-hour videos. I'm not going to get through those. I'm not going to get through those. Keep sending me stuff. But here's the thing. It's like everybody's seeing, hey, this is important. I want to share it. I appreciate that. Please do keep sharing it. I do look at everything. I just determine really quick, is this something that I need to go through this week? I'm trying to see if the Holy Spirit's working through you and sharing with me. So I'm, I'm up for that. But just know I don't get through everything. But don't stop. Don't stop. It's okay. Uh, information glut. A post-truth world is seen also by limited accountability. So I can share this stuff and I can just wing it out there and I cannot research it or fact check it. I can, and there's hardly any accountability. Worst case scenario is I get bumped off Twitter or Facebook maybe for a little while and get in Facebook jail because I sent something in. But there is, there's limited accountability. A post-truth world is also seen by when you add those all up, you get personal truth. Basically truth to me because today, especially in our younger generation, when I looked to all these things, the government and science and everything to say this is truth and they've all failed. And say, okay, well, I got, I'll believe in what I believe in. 
because I don't really have anything else for a litmus test anymore. So personal truth becomes everybody's truth is reality. And what happens with this is we add one more thing. A post-truth world includes feelings are the ultimate authority. So when we add all this up, what happens is really our feelings become the largest authority. How I feel about something is how I decide whether it's truth or not. How do we know this is true? Post something and watch the rage and watch how we bark at each other and watch how we get excited and get all wound up. Feelings become what really drive. What's interesting today, if you follow Barna, who does a lot of the Christian studies and, and surveys, is they... This is actually a five-year-old survey, so it's probably worse than this. It says only 35% of Americans believe there is an absolute truth. 35. In April 2017, Times Magazine front cover, Is Truth Dead? We live in a post-truth world. And sometimes when I'm having conversations with people, people will say, Brian, this is like the worst ever I've ever seen. Truth, we're so divided. And so this is like the worst ever. And I would probably say in my generation, this is one of the worst seasons I've seen because of the division. But is it the worst in all time history? Oh my goodness, read the Bible. We just go up and down and up and down and up and down. Let me take you back 2,000 years ago where actually truth was on trial. A person who we know, who's known as truth, was being accused with a lot of lies. Jesus went through six court hearings through different levels in six hours from midnight to about 6 a.m. The man we know as truth was on trial. And at one point, when we see truth on trial, we see it has now got all the way to Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, and he's in court in front of him and Pilate's having a conversation with him and Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says, well, you say I'm a king, but then Jesus says, this is what I really came to be. Starting here in uh, John 18, verse 37 and 38. Jesus, after he said, you say I'm a king, but here's the deal, Jesus responded, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. I love this next part. All who love the truth Recognize what I say is true. Amen. And Pilate asked that big question. Famous question that rings throughout all the Bible. What is truth? Just looks at him and says, what is truth? And what's interesting is, is right after this conversation, this is how much irony is in this situation, is Pilate washes his hands of it and says he's innocent. But he allows him to be flogged and he allows capital punishment and allows him to be hung on a cross at the same time and truth went on to a cross and what we see here is the relative truth of the mob overcame the truth of Jesus so I think that question is still here today I, I still think we, with Pilate what is truth it's a question being asked all the time what is truth the thing is it's louder today because it's all over our phones it's all over I mean we have so much information and they're screaming this question today what is truth I know what what truth is not Art, Art Lindsay he's a Christian author he wrote this is what truth is not, not truth is not simply whatever works 
Truth is not simply what is coherent or understandable. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Truth is not what the majority says is true. Truth is not defined by what is intended because good intentions can still be wrong. Truth is not simply what is believed because a lie believed is still a lie. Truth cannot be relative. What that means is truth cannot change with every circumstance. I just keep adjusting it to what's going on. And truth cannot be pluralistic. Pluralistic means that my truth is right, and so is yours, Chloe, and so is yours, and so is yours, that all of our truths are right, even when they differ. As I write this, and as I was preparing for today, my heart just hurts for the world, especially our children and grandchildren as they're watching what they're being born into. Today our children see the truth of the mob. It's loud, it's constantly changing, it's emotionally driven, and it's a force in this world. Our children are watching while politics and health and race divide us because we all think we have the truth. And our children are gonna step up to the plate and they won't know what truth is. But my heart is encouraged because we do know the truth. My heart is encouraged that our children can know the truth for it is right here. Now I just stop and say let's go home. (laughs) But I think we need to walk through this a little bit. Because even Christians today, a high percentage do not believe the truth of the Bible is still true today. So let's go into that. So in sermon note number two, second sermon note, this is what we're standing on today. We read the Bible to know the truth. We go here to know the truth. So we would say the Bible is, is revelatory. We'll say the Bible is historically accurate. We'll say it's prophetically reliable. Today we'll say the Bible is foundational. This is a rock we build on. The Greek word for truth in your Bibles means to unhide, to hide nothing. The Hebrew word for truth means constant, firm, and endures. Put them together. We have something that is unhidden and constant. It is a bestseller still every year. God has never hidden his word. And the Gideons out there make sure everybody gets it. (laughs) God bless them. So many people make sure everybody can see the word and the truth. It's never been hidden, never at all. It's always at the forefront, and it has endured every criticism, every test, every fire, every academic research over hundreds of years. It's endured every fire, and it still stands. So when we pick up this book, Can we trust God's word as truth? I think this is really what we need to wrestle with today. Is it still truth today? Is it still 100% reliable? So we talked about historical accuracy and prophetically reliable. Some big facts last week, not going back there. If you missed last week, go back, like Lene said, watching our YouTube channel, whatever like that, catch up with us. But we really laid some groundwork about its reliability, but today we're talking about truth. Is it true? Can I trust it always to guide me in truth today? I'm almost with you. Sermon note three, just a little different worded. 
Every word of God is flawless. I like this word because it's the word the Bible uses. Every word of God is flawless. You heard words like, uh, and some of you might be mad because I'm not going to go down this angle today. I think there's a much different angle to approach this. You'll hear words like it's inerrant. Inerrant means that it's free from error. The Bible is completely free from error. Infallible is another way of looking at error. Infallible says it cannot produce something that's untrue. It's incapable of error. I like the word flawless, and it comes right out of Psalm 12:6. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible like gold refined seven times this is what we believe and this is what we preach and this is what we hold on to that God's word is divine it is perfect for God is perfect and without error so because he is holy and perfect I believe his word is holy and perfect I do not want to worship a God who gets things wrong because I'm relying not on the fact that he created me but that I have eternity based on him and I don't want him to be wrong. I would not want to believe in anybody anything less that could do what God can do. He is without error. God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit to the authors of the Bible. As originally given, it is perfect and that's what we believe. If God can't err, his Holy Spirit is God, he can't err, and he inspired men to write this. We say it's flawless because we look at the flawless, flawless truth of knowing this story says who created us, this story tells us the laws and the commands for us to live rightly in relationship with him. This, law, this book shares with us flawlessly the power and destruction of sin. When we ignore it, it happens over and over and over. This book reminds us of and tells us the flawless truth of a life and love of a savior. This book tells us the, the way to salvation. We don't want that to be wrong. And this book tells us flawlessly what waits for us in eternity. And it tells it over and over and over again as the story develops over 1,500 years through 42 authors writing 66 books and it still is rock solid today. There is nothing like this. That's flawless. It compares it in Psalm 12:6 to silver and gold to speak to the early people, the ancient church, uh, to the Old Testament people at this time about gold and silver. What they knew was gold and silver was the best investment. You get a hold on to this, it stays good forever. So we compare God's word to something that is a great investment. <laughs> That's what we think. God's word is, I can rely on it as an investment for eternity. But it says not only that, it says it's been refined by the fire. It's sat in a crucible. It's been under the hottest fire over all these years. It has been tested and tried and it is still pure. As a matter of fact, it says it's been, it's been burned in that crucible seven times. That number means perfect. It's still perfect. What we have to understand is God's word is written for a time and culture, but it still speaks today. It still guides today. It still corrects today. We're gonna talk about that, so I don't wanna go down that road today. And it still points to our future. 
So if we believe God's word is flawless, why isn't it held to be truth today? And why is it even questioned by many Christians that I don't think it's 100% true? I don't think it's 100% flawless. My answer to that is the problem with truth isn't in the word of God. It's in us. The problem with truth isn't in this book. The problem of truth is me, and it's you. Because see, we're human, we aren't perfect. <laughs> we get things wrong. There's a lot of reasons why. Every time we get truth throughout history, we tend to mishandle it. And whenever I think of this, I think of a video of a movie <laughs> So your pastor's just gonna be shallow for a minute. I always think of this movie. It's got a quote that's always in the top 50 quotes of all time about how we handle truth. Watch this with me. Consider yourself in contempt. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You want answers? I think we're entitled. You want the truth? It's your next sermon note. We can't handle the truth. What we gotta understand is, is us to, our, to ourselves alone, when I pick up this book, we can't handle it on our own. There's a part of you and I right here in our hearts and minds that struggles with truth. Let me explain what that means. I could be a babe on a brand new journey and I just picked up this book and I'm following Jesus and truth is hard because I'm just walking into the woods to look at this. So some of it is just we're all in different parts of our spiritual journey. Some of us have been on this journey a long time and we've become quite comfortable so what we do is we take the truth out of the Bible we like, but we ignore the other truths that make us uncomfortable. We're all in these different parts of our journey trying to grow and understand, but that's not the only reason why. Another reason why we can't handle the truth, why we struggle with it, is because we have a dark world around us all the time whispering what is truth. We are bombarded by an enemy every day is like, and still saying the same thing that the enemy said to Eve. Did God really say is that really true? We are surrounded by dark world. It doesn't whisper. Today it yells, what is truth? And it yells at us when we think we have truth. The third reason why we can't handle the truth, and I think we struggle, is because we have to be honest, at times we're pretty selfish. At times when I hurt, and I'm going through hard times, I have trouble reading this book. Because when I'm hurt, we do what humans do. We focus inward instead of focusing out and going to the one who can help and get us through. We as humans love control, and we struggle. When we have truth, and we like to even try and control that truth, and yet we're finite beings trying to deal with the infinite God. Sometimes I hurt so bad I struggle with my identity. Sometimes I struggle with my sexuality and so I go to other places for truth because I like not 
following that truth. And one of the biggest, uh, nah, I don't know if it's the biggest, one of the historical issues with us and when we struggle, why we can't handle the truth is many times as Christians we'll use the truth for our own purposes and for power. If you don't think I'm telling you the truth on that, I will give you the book of the history of the Christian church and show you how many times that they've abused truth and oppressed people and hurt because they love power. They love to be right. And they use the word as a weapon. On our own, we can't handle the truth. You know, there's one really big reason that I'm glad Jesus left the earth 2,000 years ago. That Jesus didn't stay here after he rose from the dead and he appeared to everybody for 40 days. He didn't stay here. I'm really glad that he actually left because he said this, I'm leaving you, but I'm gonna send a helper. He said, it's even better than me. I'm leaving somebody for you that will help you. Let's jump over here to John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You notice he didn't say some of the truth. He said, the person I'm sending, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you somebody better, and it's the Holy Spirit. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit can handle the truth. For he is truth. He speaks and he guides us in all truth and he only speaks what he hears from the Father and the Son. The triune God is so much in harmony and he only speaks to us when we read his word what the Father and the Son tells him. When we engage this book and we open it, we should never do it on our own. There's only one that can illuminate and cast light on this, and that's the Holy Spirit. When we go at this on our own, we struggle with truth. When we open this book, every time you open it, when you open it today, and I trust you are all opening it every day. When I open it, the first thing I do is pray. Holy Spirit, come help me. I can't do this on my own. I wrestle with a lot that's in here. And there's a lot I don't wrestle with anymore because he's helped me see it as I'm ready and as he grows me. I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, help. Not only do we open this book, do we start with the Holy Spirit and say, come and help that we start in prayer, we also read this in community. The reason why we read this in community is because the Holy Spirit works for you. When we sit down around a table and we go into God's word together in community, the Holy Spirit works through all of us, guiding. Some people have life experience, wisdom, all these things that we pour into. Sometimes an 18-year-old going out in the world reminds me of truth <laughs> sometimes from the simplest ways. 
I sit in a creative meeting every week writing these sermons with four or five other people and I listen to how the Holy Spirit works for them. When you send me that stuff, I ask, Holy Spirit, are you sending this so I can see something? I have a lot of sources that come into here. There's only one source that they all go through the filter and that's the Holy Spirit. I wrestle with him all week long and I grow every time I write a sermon. Open it, invite him in prayer, and do this in community. Don't do it on your own. It's like, how do I know the Holy Spirit's voice? Open it. <laughs> Start there. If you don't, you won't hear it. Because I see him, and he reveals himself in it. You'll get used to his voice. And the nudges, the screams, the agony, he's right there fighting with you. We can handle the truth if we do it with him. That's why we just sang a little while ago, we may be weak, but your spirit is strong in us. And we should be okay with that. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, let me give you three things. Three things that are guidance to know how do we know the truth in a world that's so post-truthy. So here's the first one. Truth is found in the word. We start there. This is repeating a little bit. But truth is found in the word. This is our starting point. Our primary source of truth is this book. Not any other book that references this book. This book. Then we can go read the other books. This book is our primary source of truth. It's written down for us as a gift. It's a grace. It's survived and it's been refined by the fire. Proverbs 35, your scripture reference there says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all to come him, or all who come to him for protection. Ladies and gentlemen, I just can't reiterate enough. You'll never find another book like this in Ronald. Nothing speaks like this. Humans could not have written this, <laughs> except under the Spirit. So not only that, not so we start there. Truth is found in a word, but then the second thing is truth is understood in a person. Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, I am the truth. In the gospel of John chapter one, it says Jesus is the word. It's how God reveals himself. God reveals himself perfectly through Jesus. So we see an example throughout the Bible and in our lives today in Jesus. He is a person. Truth is a person. He's the perfect example of truth. He lived perfectly as a human without sin because he followed this. In Matthew 5, starting in verse 17, Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I've come to earth. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, that might be a little tough to understand before Jesus came to earth, the only way I could stay right with God is to follow his law. And when I didn't do that right, there was a way I could pay through sacrifice and things like that to make myself right. And Jesus came to earth and said, I didn't come to abolish that. I came to actually fulfill it. Because I'm perfect, I'm gonna be that sacrifice for you when you're not perfect. And because now God will see you as right through me, not through a bunch of practices or words, I fulfill all this. 
so we understand truth in a person. Jesus tells us, I took care of it. Now follow me, because I'm the way. I don't want to go take that away. Pastor Eric's going to get to talk about that in a couple weeks. What's interesting is on this journey, while Jesus is on earth, while he's given us these words out of Matthew 5, many people did not like the cost. And many people did not like the inconvenience of the truth, and so they left Jesus. And we pick that up in John chapter 6. It says, at this point, many of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12, his closest 12. He said, are you going to leave too? And Peter, Peter says these beautiful words, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words that give eternal life. You're the truth. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. So powerful is this moment. You notice what Peter didn't say? Jesus said, are you going to leave? Peter didn't say, well, where would we go? He didn't say that. He said, to whom will we go? Because there's only one who's truth. He's the only God we're following. He's the only God that saved us. And he's the only God that gives us eternity. He didn't say, where are we going to go if we leave? He said, who else can we go to? You're the truth. Your words are eternal life to us. A question for us, kind of a hard question. If I don't believe this book is flawless, to whom do I go to be saved? What is better out there than this? And that's a true test. I trust to go out and check it out. Go out and wrestle with the other ways that look like get us to heaven. See if there's something that's written like this. See if there's truth. See if there's something. Everything that you'll find out there is a balance of whether I've done enough good or anything. Like there's no confirmation that you'll have eternity in anything else. It's got to be flawless. So, three points. Truth is found in a word, it's understood in a person. And the third thing is it's expressed in love. This is how I know I got it. This is how I know I've got the truth. How do we know we know the truth? How do we know we have the truth? It's shown in action. It's shown in how we love. If I sit down with the Holy Spirit and I listen to him and I know his voice and I let him shape me and stuff, it says there are fruits of the Spirit. Do you know what the first fruit of the Spirit is that says I'm listening to his truth and he's shaping me? What is it? Love. The first fruit. The first proof that the truth is in me is how I love. Truth is always expressed in love. This is something Christians need to get right. 2 John 1 starting in verse 1. Now, 2 John 1, I'd encourage you to read this letter that the Apostle John wrote. It's only 300 words, and it only has one topic. This letter is from John the Elder. I'm writing to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. 
as does everyone else who knows the truth. They love with it. Because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. John's making it really clear. How do I know I know the truth? It's how we love. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all we got and love our neighbor. That's how we know we have the truth. The last sermon note, truth and love are inseparable. We wanna do this, we wanna do this at times, but truth and love are inseparable. If we only have truth and we sacrifice love, we will be that legalistic Christian people that use the Bible as a weapon every time we encounter somebody in their sin who's hurting out there lost in the world, who doesn't know truth. And if we as a church only have love and not truth of the Bible, then we go out there when people are suffering and hurting and we pat their hand and tell them it's okay while they continue to get further and further of God, facing eternal separation from him because they never knew him. They're inseparable and it's a core value of our church. This is a core value of our church. Love like Jesus, which is a quote right out of the Bible full of truth and abundant grace. Week one, we gave you a challenge. Pick this book up, and in that week, find somebody to read with. Week two, we gave you another challenge. Have somebody pour into you who you know the Spirit's in them, that you admire them, that know the Word, but then make sure we're pouring into somebody who is pouring into our children and grandchildren for the legacy of this church they are hearing a lot of things out in the world that are not true. And this week, the challenge comes, and sorry, let me back up just that Wayne's class. If you've never picked this book up because you're so intimidated by it, join Wayne's class that's on here. It will get you started in the Bible. We've made that class just for this. This week, the challenge is right out of John chapter 17 starting in verse 17. This is a prayer between Jesus and the Father right before he goes to the cross. The high priestly prayer, we call it. And he's praying for you and I, right here. Jesus says, Father, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world, the post-truth world. And Jesus says, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Our challenge this week is be made holy by this truth. Let's go into the world. That post-truth world looks so scary. Let's go there because we got the biggest guy with us. And we have truth that sets people free who are really hurting and lost. Our goal is we want everybody to be in heaven with us because we're motivated by love. We don't use this Bible as a weapon. We don't use truth as a weapon. We use it as a bridge to help people come across.
Let's share that truth with others. I'd like to go into a time of offering with you and I together as one body where we pray that we take God's word today together. When you leave today, you can drop, your offering is your gift to God. It's, it's, it's to the body. You're not given to the church. You are the church, right? <laughs> we give to ourselves the resources to, to grow and learn and, and reach the world together. So when you leave today, there's boxes there you can give online. Give your best gift every week. And give out of joy. I will not want you to give any other way. To our guests, if you could fill out that connect card and drop it off either at our welcome center out these doors, we'd love to meet you or drop those in the box. We'd love to connect with you and see if we can help you, especially if you're searching for a church home. But let's go to him in prayer and let's give him the best offering we got today together as one body. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true, that there's something we can land on, there's something we can build a foundation as church on, there's something that we can have our families built on. Father, if I struggle with your word as truth, as pure, absolute truth, help me walk with somebody and that first person's the Holy Spirit. If I don't ever pick up this book, I'll never know. Father, that we all pick up this word today and the first person we invite is your spirit. Join us. Help me see it. Father, guide us in truth. Exactly what Jesus said, make this church holy by your truth. Where else can we go? Jesus, you have the words of life. And because you loved us that much, and died for us to make sure we understood this truth. We aren't leaving your side and we're going to go out in the world because we have the Holy Spirit with us, the power of God, the voice of Christ in each of us. Father, let us not worry about being right. Let us worry about building a bridge and bring you to the one who is right. And let's build bridges to the world out there that doesn't know this truth. That's a brave church. Father, help us remember our core value, love like Jesus, full of truth and grace. Let us change this world for you. Father, I lift up your church universal today that we all know the truth and we love in the truth. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Let me hear a big amen. Amen. amen.